the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom Commencing countdown engines on Check ignition and make God's love be with you Oh, here am 
my tin can
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program. It was uh, 40 years ago that Carl Sagan and his wife, Andrean, uh, co-wrote what would become the most iconic science-based television series in history and its companion, one of the top-selling science books of all time, Cosmos. Well, now Andrean is... Uh, carrying the torch forward with a long-awaited sequel to the book Cosmos with Cosmos Possible Worlds, published by National Geographic. It is the companion to the third season of Cosmos, which premiered on National Geographic in March, but is uh, also airing on Fox this month, uh, beginning this month. And um, Andrea joins me by phone. Ann, am I still saying your uh, last name right? You're doing it beautifully, Tom. It's so good to be with you and to be with your audience in Flint. Well, welcome to the uh, welcome to the show. And I, I I just have to ask, as a way to get started, how is doing the Cosmos series and this new Cosmos book? Um, and and I should mention that Anne is a Peabody and Emmy Award winning writer producer and director many times over um but how is it different doing this project now as opposed to 40 years ago that's a great question i uh i have to say that i feel that the values of science which were much more a part of the fabric of our society 40 years ago science is now under siege and uh, there's a, you know, there's a feeling of mistrust and disregard for science. We can see it in the suffering of this pandemic, but also in the abandonment of a sense of the future that cosmos that that cosmos celebrated, that science makes possible. And so. This new season, uh, Brandon Braga, my collaborator and I, we wanted to create a vision of a possible future that is worth working for. We all know how, you know, how 
dangerous and catastrophic. The effects of climate change have become the fires, the floods, the droughts. And so we wanted to, instead of telling everybody how bad it is, because I think we all really know it, uh, we wanted to envision the redemptive power of science. Science is power to help us meet this challenge and rescue the future for our children and our grandchildren. I, I can't help asking, and, and I don't want to dwell on the past too much, but, you know, as you were talking about, we all know how bad it is, and yet there are people who deny climate, climate change. Um, would people have been so distrusting and, and so doubting if Carl Sagan had said there was climate change? Oh, what a deep and haunting question that is for me personally. Because knowing Carl, working with him for 20 years, building a family with him, you know, his integrity, his goodness was so much more outstanding for those of us who really knew him. And, you know, there have been so many times, and maybe this is just the voice of a, a widow or the voice of someone whose bias is very obvious, but there's a part of me that feels that if Carl were alive and well, we would have had greater protection against the horrendous failure that we are living through now. I know, I know it. Because he was the kind of person who who couldn't lie. He had to be truthful. He was kind, but he was always truthful. And I just feel that his stature was so much greater than anyone we, any representative of science we have now. Because he could connect with everyone. And because he was such a citizen, you know, he used to go to... The uh, naturalization ceremonies. <laughs> no one knew about this. There was no, there was no, you know, like public relations person spreading the word. He would, he would, the night before school began in September, he would regularly talk to the the teachers of our county to inspire them with the with the sacred task of what they were doing. He would go to kindergartens and first grades to just light that spark in the minds of children. You know, he really was a citizen scientist and, um, and believed in democracy, had those values. And I feel that, you know, if he had lived and he was well, he would be a force for good. I know he would. More about Carl Sagan, Cosmos, and more with Peabody and Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, and director, Andrean, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. 
The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about Carl Sagan, Cosmos, and more with Peabody and Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, and director, Andrean. I was trying to imagine if I could get through a conversation with you without mentioning his many appearances on the, on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and several other talk shows, and that, that 
deep, resonating um, voice that so many people mimicked um, with with the phrase, billions and billions. And then I saw, as I was reading through some of the material about the book, that, that uh, you and Carl actually wrote a book called Billions and Billions. Yes, we did. This was, it was really remarkable. Uh, Carl underwent three bone marrow transplants during the last two years of his life and his fight for his life. Mm. And during that time, he wrote The Demon Haunted World and Billions and Billions. And after he died, his, his doctor said to me, you know, I've never known anyone who could actually finish reading a book during a bone marrow transplant. And Carl wrote two great ones, and that was just a that was just another metric of of his remarkable, just really off scale qualities. Well, and we really don't. Uh, we really. If I just may add one thing. Yeah, go ahead. If I, I'm sorry Please. to interrupt, but if I may add one thing, he and Johnny Carson had such a beautiful friendship. And it really touched me that after Carl died, I heard from a science teacher uh, who told me that he had a dream that every single student couldn't graduate high school unless they once peered through a telescope. And Johnny Carson sent 300 Celestron telescopes to the public schools of this teacher's state. And he wanted it done anonymously, but there was just a little gold plaque that said, from a friend of Carl. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now, now you're making me tear up a little bit there, Anne. Um, <laughs> but but um, was one last question about Carl, and then we'll, we'll move forward. Was he pretty good-humored about the ribbing and the impressions? And He, you know, the... Uh, one of the things that we loved to do most together was to really laugh. And I, you know, for me to make Carl just burst out laughing was one of the greatest joys of my life. And I could never make him laugh louder than when I was making fun of him. And uh, he was very good humored. I mean, he, there were times when he was hurt by uh, some of the, you know, unkindness on the part of his, you know, of his peers, the scientific community really didn't think that science, at that time, that science really belonged to all of us, as Carl thought. And so he got a lot of abuse from them, and that really hurt. But never, when people were making fun of him, he loved that. And uh, he had the best laugh of anyone. Now, I can't think of anybody in this last 40 years that has been a as good a public spokesperson for science and and scientific um, search and discovery um, un- until maybe Neil deGrasse Tyson, who of course uh, hosts the the new version of Cosmos. Um, why does it 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 seem like it's it's so hard to um, translate science? to regular people the way that Carl did so effortlessly? You know, I don't know why it is. I think it's because Carl grew up in a working-class family that lived paycheck to paycheck. He didn't know any scientists. 
And he kind you know, he he worked so hard to learn everything he could. And then he was a student at the University of Chicago, undergraduate, and for his two PhDs in physics and astrophysics and astronomy. And I think it was because the curriculum at the University of Chicago insisted that even if you wanted to be an astrophysicist, you had to read the sacred books of our ancestors. You had to know them deeply. You had to read great literature, whether you liked it or not. Well, of course, Carl loved it. And so he was able to develop not only his rigorous scientific mind, but also the soaring imaginative mind that comes from reading great literature. He respected, you know, he had a kind of a deep regard for the, the, the work of our ancestors. And he was a person, you know, somebody who, who could, in 1963, actually, you know, uh, put forth a thesis that there could be life in the cloud tops of Venus, something that, you know, everybody ridiculed at the time. Well, of course, last week, phosphines were discovered in the high cloud, cloud tops of <laughs> Venus. And so his scientific speculations were beautifully aimed. His work on the planets, on tragically the runaway greenhouse effect on Venus and its implications for Earth, all of those things were absolutely rigorous, airtight. He was never, he never fudged anything. And yet, um, you know, I think it was his Brooklyn childhood and his love for his parents who really had a hard scrabble existence that rooted him in, uh, you know, in the kind of universal experience on Earth. And I think that's what made him so special, is that he was, um, you know, he, he really, he was, his, his consciousness was so complete in terms of free of bias, free of chauvinism, and simply interested in, in terms of facts and great poetry. Of, of of literature, so I don't know. I don't know how you make another Carl. I just don't know. I think he was a product of that period in many ways, but still, you know, he was he transcended the blindness uh, of that time, and I just uh, I don't know how you make a Carl because he was inside and outside the person who he presented to the public, unlike so many famous people. And, um, you know, I, I forgive me for just drooling on about this, but I could talk forever about his extraordinary qualities. Um, he was really, you know, um, he was a complete human being. And um, just uh, uh, for the record, your, your audio is fading in and out a little bit. If anybody's uh, monitoring, maybe they can help with that um, okay. but I, I, we'll see um, and uh, I want to okay, turn the, I, I want to turn the attention to you now what came first for Andre and um, the uh, science or writing writing 
I uh, published a novel, uh, which I wrote really before Carl and I were together. But I became interested in science. I was the kind of person who couldn't do the math and who was intimidated by science. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So I was the person who was just like, uh, you know, I was told I was ineducable by a physics teacher, which really hurt. But um, I became interested in science because of the pre-Socratic philosophers of ancient Greece. And these were people who actually worked, rolled up their sleeves. They were not aristocrats. They did not own slaves. They were the kind of people who invented the experimental method. And that fascinated me because, you know, in a world completely mystified by nature, these were the first human beings that only know who said, let's not explain the thunder, you know, because... Um, the gods are angry. Let's try to understand um, the natural cause. And this inspired me tremendously because it's like the only way out of a circular trap. You know, if you say, well, that's because, you know, it's because the gods are angry. It's because the gods are happy. You don't ever find out what is the cause of things. And they began, they invented science. And I fell in love with them. And that coincided um, with my first encounters with Carl. And, uh, and so I guess the literature came first because I was not a good science student. But I had the greatest tutorial from a, for 20 years from, from a person for whom no question was silly, who honored every question with a thoughtful, precise, and understandable answer. And that inspired me to fall in love with science. In the process of, of writing um, Cosmos, the TV show, and, and now this companion book, Cosmos, Possible Worlds, um, how much of the material is proven fact and how much of it is informed speculation? That's a great question. You know, that's a really good question. I, I haven't quantified what the ratio is. But I, uh, I believe that there's nothing in the book which violates the laws of science, except for these voyages that we take to the beginning of time, to the beginning of life, which are absolutely firmly based on what we know scientifically. But my, my goal in creating this book was to weave what we know, a comprehensive view of really what we know about nature with aspects of my personal life, my life with Carl, and, uh, and most of all, to tell thrilling stories about some of the people of whom you've never heard before, but who contributed so much to our understanding of nature, and and also to create a vision of the future that's worthy of our children and our grandchildren, worth fighting for right now. And so, possible worlds, you know, it works on many different levels, in my view. It's the possible worlds of the exoplanets, the 
planets that circle other suns that we've only recently discovered in this most recent generation, but also the possible worlds that are personally possible if you are fortunate enough to be part of a great love, as well as the possible world that this could become if we get our act together. So there's a lot of science. I, you know, I speak as someone who's who's bored and terrified in science classes. There's a lot of science. You, at the end of the book, you are a scientifically literate person, but I hope it's painless. I hope <laughs> that it comes to you in the form of story that you can relate to. And I mean, there are half a dozen heroes in this book that I really can't wait for your audience to meet because, because I pick them not just because of uh, the science that they made possible, but because of the drama and the passion and the, even, even the suffering of their life stories as, as inspirations for all of us to step up. Well, as, as you mentioned, you weren't a science kid. I wasn't a science kid. Is, is one of the problems with people trying to communicate um, scientific discovery and scientific exploration that they talk over our heads? Absolutely. And it's much better now. I think that, you know, scientists, many scientists realize that they have to be able to communicate. And I'm very proud of the fact that uh, here in Ithaca, New York, where I live, I had a tiny role in, in moving Cornell University to make it possible for science majors to minor in communication. Because, as Carl often said, we live in a society that is completely dependent on science and high technology. And yet you can't aspire to become a democracy as we hope to at some point if most of the people cannot be informed decision makers. And that's the reason that we did the first Cosmos and the reason that I've done two seasons since and written this book is that this, these, these insights that come from science were paid for by you and me with our tax dollars, virtually all of them. And yet, you know, it, the idea that citizens of a putative democracy, of an aspiring democracy, know nothing about them so that we, they can be lied to relentlessly about global climate change, about pandemic that has taken so many from us is outrageous and anti-democratic and uh, you know I just feel that all of us have to do whatever we can to change this situation because it is it is catastrophic it already has been but what we've been through this last year these last four years it will get worse the floods the fires, the drought, the diseases, they will all get worse. And actual, the actual drama of climate change, which is unfolding at the poles and 
and made completely, you know, all of these climate scientists, including Carl, who did his PhD thesis on Venus and coined the phrase runaway greenhouse effect. He was the first person to understand what was going on on Venus. Well, once he understood that, he couldn't help but look to his own planet and see what the implications of all the carbon dioxide and methane that we are putting into the atmosphere. You know, it's, it, this is critical. And so, uh, you know, the scientist who takes public money and makes no attempt to, to, to connect with the public about what she or he is doing, I think, is not being a good citizen. You know, the question of uh, life on other planets has uh, persisted in the uh, shadow of space exploration since uh, uh, the, the first uh, rockets went into space. Um, and, and it wasn't very long before his uh, death that Stephen Hawking said, if uh, life exists out there and it comes here, that would not be a good thing. Yet a lot of your writing and speculation... Uh, in in cosmos points to uh, a a much more positive kind of future um is that a matter of faith or is that a matter of science well that's a fair question and maybe part of it is just maybe all of it is projection you know because we tend to when we depict the extraterrestrials in popular culture you know, they want us for lunch, but <laughs> right. that doesn't make any scientific sense to me. Because the fact is, is that interstellar uh, travel is very expensive. And, um, you know, the distances between the stars are so, so formidable, so vast, that the idea of, yeah, you you figured out how to do interstellar travel, but you haven't figured out how to get lunch. That doesn't really, that seems very <laughs> unlikely. It's not exactly fast food. Fun. No, it's that, you know, is that we are projecting because of the way we treat the other life forms on this planet. We don't have a very good record, you know. And so for me, the extraterrestrials are beautiful until proven ugly because um, it seems to me that if you are an actual citizen of the cosmos meaning that you have traveled from star to star and perhaps even galaxy to galaxy you must have you must have survived your technological adolescence and that's what we're struggling with now we are you know, we've only been doing science for 400 years. That's nothing. In a systematic way, that is nothing, really. And to blink of an eye on the cosmic calendar uh, in a universe that's 13.8 billion years old. And so it seems to me that, you know, Stephen Hawking, I, I revere his memory. He was a genius without question. And yet, I feel that that was a rare failure of his imagination um, because while our first contact with each other has been a story of 
torture, brutality, that's because uh, we're still very young and very short-sighted and very ignorant as a species. And we are just awakening to the cosmos and to the potential it has. And it seems to me, you know, I, don't, I was a mess when I was an adolescent. I don't actually know a single person who wasn't. <laughs> and that's us right now in terms of our civilization. And that's what gives me hope because, you know, I the adolescents I knew have grown and matured into, for the most part, into decent human beings. And I think our civilization can do the same, but we don't have any time to waste. And you are an absolute delight to talk to, and I can't believe how fast the time has gone. We're literally out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, uh, the book Cosmos, uh, Possible Worlds, a companion piece to the Cosmos television series on National Geographic and now on Fox, um, is is a great place to start. But, uh, Anne, do you have a, a website that you would like to direct people to to keep track of uh, what's happening with with your work and and all the related projects oh thank you so much for asking tom that's so kind of you yes um first of all on instagram you can go to drianism or saganism and uh on on uh, online you can go to carlsagan.com and um uh, that's, that's really about it, but I, I really hope that your listeners will be, will be moved to, to read the book because, um, you know, it really, I, I gave it everything I had. <laughs> well, Anne, thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning, and best of luck. Oh, it was a joy for me too, Tom, and, um, and I really appreciate the depth of your questions and your great kindness. <laughs> All right. Take care. That was uh, Andrean. She is uh, the. Uh, she was married to Carl Sagan when they produced and and wrote the uh, um, series Cosmos. Cosmos is back again, and the uh, new book from National Geographic and Andrean is Cosmos: Possible World. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. I know of a place where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. 
Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. 
get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Last night I met a man from Mars and he was very sad. He said, won't you help me find my girlfriend, please? So I asked him, what does she look like? And the man from Mars said, she's... Eight foot two, solid blue, five transistors in each shoe. Has anybody seen my gal? Blue sight nose, rust-proof toes, and when her antenna glows, she's the cutest Martian gal. You know she promised me recently she wouldn't stray, but came the dawn, she was gone, 18 billion miles away. Her steering wheel has sex appeal, her evening gown is stainless steel. Has anybody seen my gal? All the bliss of her sweet hydraulic kiss Has anybody seen my gal? Lovely shape, custom built Squeeze her wrong and she says tilt Has anybody seen my gal? She does the cutest tricks With her six stereo ears When she walks by, spacemen cry, especially when she shifts her gears. If she's found, run like mad, put her on a launching pad, down at Cape Canaveral. And shoot me back, my cutie, my supersonic beauty. Send me back, my Martian gal. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program but never fear I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the uh, big broadcast here Um, and uh, more mix of comedy music and great guests like we had this past hour the encore with uh, Andrean who worked with Carl Sagan to create Cosmos for uh, television and the books as well and uh, talking about the return of those. And uh, before that, we talked with uh, David Florence, uh, professor and founder of the Oxford Method, about ways to ensure your child gets a good education. And we started out this morning with uh, David Mezajewski from the uh, National Wildlife Federation to kick off National Wildlife Week. Anyway, Smoke and George telling me time to head on down the hall. Good night, everybody. Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.